The Writings of Isaac Pennington, Volume 2, Chapter 15. The Letters of Isaac Pennington, Part 1 of 4. To friends in the two Chalfonts. Dear friends, you have a deep place in my heart, and my cries are to the Lord for you, that you may live to him and find his life springing up and abounding in you. What is it to have a distinct name or distinct meetings from the world, unless the power of the Lord is felt in your hearts and his presence is in your assemblies? Oh, that the Lord would awaken you. Oh, that the Lord would quicken you. Oh, that it would please the Lord to raise up a strict watch in you against all drowsiness and carelessness, temptations and snares of the enemy, that you may travel on your journey with your backs upon the world and your faces toward Zion. And may you never look back to the fleshly nature, desires, or lusts to entertain anything of that any more. For you have parted with such things in the demonstrations and leading of life, and must press on further and further till you come to apprehend and be possessed by that for which you have been apprehended by God. O oh, my friends, there is a path of life in which you must travel, even to the very end of it, or the crown of life is not to be received. Oh, that you might travel on, and that nothing might stop you. Oh, that you might every day wait for and feel the leader, and walk on with him in the simplicity, uprightness, and sense of his life, out of the reach of that wisdom which is always forming reasonings in the heart against it, and striving to darken and to make difficult the plain way of God. May the Lord God of mercy watch over you, pruning and keeping down all the earthliness and corruption in any of you, and watering and cherishing his own plant in you all, that you may daily witness the dying and decrease of the one, and the quickening and growth of the other, even till death be perfectly consumed and swallowed up by the growth, power, and presence of the immortal life in you, and your souls safe and happy in your God. O oh, my friends, prize the rich, tender mercy of the Lord in calling you out of this world towards his everlasting inheritance and fullness of life, and let not anything of this world come between him and you, but let all that is of this worldly nature, both within and without, be trampled upon by you. Let the prize of the high calling of our God in Christ Jesus be faithfully and earnestly pursued after, so that none fall short of the hope and glory set before you. And may everyone so run as to obtain and enjoy forever the dominion and reign of God over all that is contrary to him, and so sit down in the rest, joy, and peace of his nature forevermore. Amen. Your friend and brother, in the meek, innocent nature of the Lamb, from my present place of confinement in Aylesbury, according to the will of God who is blessed, and to be blessed in all that he does or allows to be done. Isaac Pennington, 22nd of the third month, 1666. To friends in truth in Chalfont and thereabouts. Dear friends, whom I love in the Lord, and whose prosperity and growth in the truth I greatly desire. This advice springs in my heart to you this morning. Mind and keep watch to that which quickens and enlivens the soul towards God, and watch against that which flattens and deadens it. 
for these are both near, and they both seek after you, the one for your good, the other for your hurt. I need not tell you what these are, nor where or how they appear, but in continual watching to the one and against the other is the diligence and care of your spirits daily to be exercised. Oh, at no time let your spirits be loose and careless, for the enemy waits to do hurt, and the Lord waits to be gracious and to do your souls good. Watch, therefore, and pray that you enter not into temptation of the enemy, nor miss the tender mercies and loving kindness of the Lord, which are sure to the seed and to all that are of and abide in the seed forever. And, my dear friends, mind your meetings together to wait upon your God with great seriousness and intention of spirit, everyone watching to feel life rise up in your own spirits. Oh, sit down, yes, Breathe earnestly to the Lord to enable you to sit down in the silence of flesh and in the stillness of your spirits, waiting for the presence, appearance, and power of your God to be revealed in the midst of you. In this way, your hearts will be searched more and more, and the pure judgment will be revealed against whatever would appear or rise up contrary to the holy nature and will of God, and that which is for death will be brought into death more and more. Thus the impure will be kept down, and that which is pure, the plants and trees of righteousness, may thrive, flourish, and spread more and more, and you will sit down under the shadow of your own vine and olive tree, partaking of the sap and fatness thereof. Oh, that every one of you, in all your meetings together, might witness that scripture fulfilled in you. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of your house, and you shall give them to drink of the rivers of your pleasure. I beseech you, with the heart of tender love, to take heed of sluggishness or carelessness or deadness of spirit in your meetings. These things are in no way becoming of the Lord's people, nor of your professions of waiting upon the living God. You are to look up, to watch, to wait, and breathe for the Lord to be exercised by his Spirit before whom all things are naked and bare, and to offer up that acceptable sacrifice of a broken heart, of pure praises, of love, life, humility, thanksgiving, etc. You are to receive what the Father of mercy stands ready, in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of his love, to give forth unto you. Can you be exercised in this way while in a drowsy, sluggish, careless spirit? Do not such things dishonor the Lord, whose name you should honor? And is not the jealous God provoked and grieved by such things as these, with whom you should walk in all humility and tenderness of spirit? I beseech you, therefore, watch against all things of this nature, and be diligent, that you may witness the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus making you free and fencing you in against all things of this kind, that you may be a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, a temple of living stones, wherein the living God may dwell and walk and sup with you. There is one thing that yet remains with me, which I would eagerly have you to grow to a true, sensible, and experiential understanding of, which is this, namely, what it means to touch no unclean thing. 
The enemy will be stirring up and casting that which is unclean upon the vessels which God is purifying and preserving from all pollution. But there is a turning away from and shunning of evil, a forsaking of the vain earthly mind and thoughts, and a receiving of such temptations and suggestions no more. Oh, that you might all experientially know and witness what this is. I know many of you do in some measure, but may there be more of this knowledge, more of this experience. Indeed, my heart livingly breathes for myself and for you that we may witness this scripture abundantly fulfilled in our hearts. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Oh, feel the weight of this scripture. The Lord has made a new covenant, a living covenant, and he has prepared a new and living way for the ransom to walk in without erring, that he might rectify all within this new people that was amiss in those under the first covenant. Oh, let the Lord enjoy the design of his heart, and let his people so wait upon him that they may all be renewed in the spirit of their minds, that the Lord may have a generation of Caleb's and Joshua's who fully follow after him in all things. For if any draw back from the Lord and from the holy commandment of life, the Lord's soul can have no pleasure in such. Oh, that there may be none among you drawing back to perdition. Take heed of deadness, drowsiness, sluggishness of spirit, earthliness, fleshly wisdom, unbelief, etc., but grow in faith, with diligence, towards the saving of your souls, which is far nearer than when you first believed, which you shall be sure in due time to reap, even the salvation you wait for, if you do not grow faint and weary. May the grace, mercy, love, and peace of God our Father, and of our Lord Jesus Christ be multiplied unto you, and fill your hearts from day to day, according to your several capacities. Isaac Pennington, Reading Jail, 22nd of 3rd month, 1671. To Catherine Portage, Friend, I observed yesterday that you did acknowledge the light to be the seed of life, and that you did affirm that those people with whom you walked also acknowledged it. Now, it is one thing to acknowledge the seed, and another thing to know it feel its guidance and be subject to it. It is a good step to acknowledge it in the comprehension from an external testimony. But they that go so far may still never come to truly know and own the thing itself. Oh, many have had some touches of the light, some true appearances and tastes of the glory. But who has been so united to the light so as to keep out of all that corrupts? There is something that still lives near, that would eagerly be mixing with the light and drawing the soul higher than the pure light of life and truth. Oh, how this leads out of the way, above the pure, true, innocent, and simple. How it makes haste to be spiritually rich and glorious, departing from that poverty of spirit wherein is the safety and preservation of the soul. Come now, live no more. Know no more of yourself. Instead, wait to feel the pure seed raised to live and know in you and to feel its light enlightening you and creating a new capacity in you. 
This will allow you to bear the pain of dying and of taking up the cross, which will truly slay every life, appearance, and power that is not of its own nature. You have formerly taken up crosses in a way of man's wisdom and according to a natural knowledge and judgment. Come now, learn to take up the seed's cross in the true foolishness, for there is not another thing that gives life besides the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, which truly and really slays. And to whoever can discern and take up this cross and live and walk under it, the yoke is easy and the burden is light. But that which finds the cross hard must first be brought under and destroyed before the yoke and burden are known to be light. If you could come out of your own wisdom and consideration of things into the simplicity of the seed, you would soon recover your lost ground again. And you would also see how the enemy, with his subtlety, has gained upon you, and into what danger he has brought your soul. The Lord searches and tries the heart, and what his light discovers is the true state of the soul. The mind outside of the light cannot comprehend its own state. Therefore, be still. Do not justify yourself nor condemn the judgment of others till the Lord makes the thing manifest to you. If it then proves better with you than what others have said, that will be to your advantage. But if you then prove mistaken, and the judgment of others, which your heart has condemned, should stand, it will be your great loss and disadvantage. This is in love and true friendship to your soul, in a deeper sight and sense of you than you are aware. Isaac Pennington, 26th of the third month, 1671. To Nathaniel Stoner, Dear friend, there is something on my heart to express to you in love and great good will, which is as follows. Would it not be sad if you should perish from the Lord forever? If you err in heart from the living way, it may be so. Indeed, if your mind is not turned from darkness, inward darkness, to the inward light of God's Spirit, it cannot be otherwise. Now, if you feel the inward light, the power of the pure light, and are changed by it, you cannot speak against that light. There was no true religion in the apostles' days without turning to the inward light, and the true ministry was then sent to turn men to it. And there is no true religion now without being inwardly turned to and walking in the same light. Nor can man try any truth or understand any scripture rightly, except in the light of God's Spirit. No one can understand the things of God except the Spirit of God. The scriptures are holy words and deal with the things of God, which no man can understand except in a light of the same nature from which they came. And when a man comes to the true understanding, he quickly finds that the understanding which he had of the same things before was but an understanding after the flesh, far short of the nature of the true understanding. And friend, consider if your knowledge, which you have hitherto had, has changed or does change the nature of your understanding and will. Or is your old understanding and will yet remaining, despite all your knowledge and practices in religion? Oh, do not dally in things of such great importance, lest you repent too late. 
For I do not tell you what I see concerning you in the light of God's eternal spirit, but rather desire that your own eye, or rather the right eye in you, be opened and brought to see. Now consider one scripture seriously concerning the church of Laodicea. Did not this church have the true knowledge outwardly, and a true church state, and right ordinances? Did it not believe in Christ, and look up to him for justification, etc.? What did it lack as to the outwardness of its state? But it lacked true sense, life, and warmth inwardly, so that if you had all ordinances and truths of the gospel light outwardly, yet lacked the inward power, you could not help but lack the tried gold, the white raiment, and the eye salve. And so, even though you might think yourselves rich, etc., yet the shame of your nakedness would appear. Yes, indeed, the nakedness of such as are not clothed with God's Spirit does clearly appear to the Lord, and also to the eyes and spirits of His children which He opens in His own light, and who see with this eye. Truly, the shame of their nakedness does appear, notwithstanding all the religious covers they put upon themselves. Oh, that you had desires, living desires, after the nature of truth, and were acquainted with the new nature." which can be satisfied with nothing but the virtue, life, and power of truth. Come, friend, wait on the Lord to have the old nature, the old spirit, mind, wisdom, understanding, and will broken, and the old garment torn to pieces. Only then will you come to experience that which is new, pure, and living, and find the new vessel filled with that which is new. For if you will come into the ministration of the new covenant, you must come into the spirit and power. You must know the letter of the scriptures in the spirit and power which wrote them, if ever you will know them aright. Yes, if you will become a son of God, you must receive power from Christ to do so. If you will believe aright, you must feel faith wrought in your heart by that very power which raised our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. All other faith falls short of the nature of true faith. Now consider, the Apostle speaks of the state of the Gentiles before they were turned from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Their understanding was darkened, being alienated from the life of God through ignorance that was in them because of the hardness of their heart. Even though what might be known of God was manifest in them, Romans one nineteen. Their ignorance remained because of their hardness in not minding it, not turning to it. And so they became alienated from the life, and their understanding was not opened by it. In this state, men are without God, without Christ, strangers to the covenant of promise, and without any true hope of salvation. And in this same state are those who have a form of godliness without the power. They are even as natural heathen. For nothing makes a true Christian besides the life and power. And he that does not hear the voice of Christ's Spirit in his heart is no better than a heathen and a publican. Yes, any church built up outside of the life and power is no better than a synagogue of Satan. It is precious indeed to know the Spirit of the living God and to be begotten by Him in the life which is true and pure. It is precious to be separated from death and its power, and to be married to life and its power. 
to be married to the conquering Lamb who triumphed over sin and death in his body of flesh, and who, by his spirit and power, delivers his spouse from the strength and dominion of them. And it is precious to walk with the Lamb and to follow the Lamb wherever he goes, for he always leads out of sin and unrighteousness into ways of purity and righteousness, into the path which is prepared for the ransomed, where there is no danger of erring. God does not strip his people naked and gather them out of the spirit of this world that they should be empty and desolate forever. No, he gathers them into and fills them with his own spirit. He fills them with light, fills them with life, fills them with holiness, fills them with righteousness, fills them with peace and joy in believing and obeying the gospel. And in this spirit is the kingdom known, which is not of this world, the inward kingdom, the spiritual kingdom, the everlasting kingdom, where the everlasting throne is near and the everlasting power is revealed. The Lord God omnipotent reigns in the hearts of his, and other lords do not reign, but their horns are broken, and the horn of God's anointed is exalted, who sits ruling as king on his holy hill of Zion. Truly, those who have suffered with him and gone through great tribulation do reign with him. Blessed be his name forever. I am your friend in the heartiness of true love, so far as the Lord pleases to make use of me towards you. Isaac Pennington, 7th of 4th month, 1671. To Nathaniel Stoner O oh, friend, it is a dangerous thing to resist God's Spirit, and yet it is very easy for a man to do so who has not received a true understanding from the Lord, nor is acquainted with the leadings and outgoings of him who is pure. He that is tender and truly sensible may discern when he resists, when he quenches, or when he grieves the Spirit of the Lord. But he that is not truly enlightened, nor in the true sense, cannot do so. The scribes and Pharisees were interpreters of the law, and very strict in outward observations and ordinances, and blamed their fathers for killing the prophets. Yet concerning these, Stephen said, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you do also resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. For until the stiff will and stiff wisdom be brought down in man, he cannot help but resist God's Spirit and fight for his notions and practices according to his apprehensions of the letter. Paul walked blamelessly according to the letter of the law, yet resisted the Spirit which gave forth the law. He who would not be found resisting God's Spirit must know the Spirit, receive the Spirit, live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. But he that is only in the letter, and in the form of godliness outside of the inward life and power, he is of that birth, mind, nature, and spirit which cannot do otherwise than resist God's Spirit. He does not know and cannot heed the Spirit's drawings, movings, light, and life, either in his own heart or in the hearts of others. Oh, wait to receive an understanding from the Lord, that you may come truly to know whether you have resisted God's Spirit or no, that you do not lose the opportunity of making peace with your adversary while you are in the way with him. This 
in very dear, true, and tender love from one who most sincerely and heartily wishes well to you. Isaac Pennington, 17th of 5th month, 1671. To Catherine Portage Friend, it is true, the way of life is so difficult and intricate that none can find it except those who are enlightened by the Lord and who follow the guidance of His Spirit. Christ, who preached the kingdom, and bid men seek it, yet said, Narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads unto life, and few there are that find it. In a race many run, but one obtains the prize. Are you able to read what Christ said? Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. This seemed a hard saying to some of his disciples, many of whom left him. And truly, friend, as it is not an easy thing to come into the right way, so neither is it an easy thing to abide in the way, for many are the bypaths, many and great the temptations, both on the right hand and on the left. The way was always the same, surely as difficult and hard formerly as it is now. But the states and conditions of some make it harder to them than it is to others. It is sad indeed that any should be convinced of truth and not come into subjection to it. Yet it is very easy and common. For men cannot deny conviction when it comes in power, but they may deny obedience to that of which they are convinced. Some, in the Apostles' day, went further, even to taste of the heavenly gift and the powers of the world to come, and to partake of the Holy Spirit, and yet fall away. Was this not very sad? And yet, sadness was not a well-grounded objection against the truth and way of God then. Indeed, I make little of the illumination of the understanding without subjection to him that illuminates. As for prayer, it is a gift. He that receives it must first come to the sense of his own inability, and so wait to receive it, perhaps beginning with but a groan or sigh from the true spirit, and thus grow in ability from the same spirit, denying the ability which is after the flesh. This fleshly ability abounds in many, who mistake and err in judgment, not waiting on the Lord to be enabled by him rightly to judge and distinguish between flesh and spirit. Many times men are willingly ignorant in this particular, and it will cost them dear to come to a true understanding therein. Has not all flesh had some manifestation of God's Spirit allotted to it? And is not God's light, God's gift, God's Spirit the rule to all? Is any prayer required or accepted outside of this? Indeed, he that has the sense of being but a dog, as I may say, and not worthy to be counted a child, yet he may pray for crumbs and be heard and receive them. But what are prayers without the light and life of God's Spirit? Are they not prayers of the fleshly birth, the fleshly will, fleshly wisdom? Can they that are in the flesh, or pray in the flesh, please God? Oh, forsake your own wisdom, reasonings, will, and desires, that you may come to true understanding in this matter. A little praying from God's Spirit, and in that which is true and pure, is better than thousands of vehement desires in one's own will and after the flesh. For as long as a man pray in the flesh, that which should die in him still lives in his very prayers. 
and how shall it ever be destroyed if it gets food and gains strength there? As to stirring up the gift, 2 Timothy 1.6, Paul knew to whom he wrote. Timothy had a great understanding, and both knew the gift and how to stir it up. But he that does not have a true understanding may stir up something else, instead of stirring up the gift, and so kindle a fire of his own, and offer up his own sacrifice with his own fire, neither of which are acceptable to the Lord. As for Christ being a mediator and reconciler, it is by his death and life, both of which are partaken of in the light which comes from him, even in the grace and truth which he dispenses. For as God wrought all in him by the fullness which he bestowed on him, so he works all in those that are his by a measure of the same spirit, life, and power. But why do you so desire to be able to comprehend and reason about these things? This is not your present concern, but rather to feel after and be joined to that whereby Christ renews and changes the mind, and wherein he gives the knowledge of his good, acceptable, and perfect will. Take heed of being exalted above measure, or desiring to know the things of the kingdom after the flesh. It is better to lie low, and as a child, to enter the kingdom and to receive the knowledge of the things of God there, than to be feeding that knowing mind, which is to be kept out and famished. O oh, watch! that you may not lose your leader, and meet with the deceiver instead of him that is true. Take care that you do not go back from the light, life, truth, and power, instead of going forward toward them. Indeed, this letter of yours makes me afraid, as Paul speaks to the Galatians, lest I have bestowed labor on you in vain. For there seems to be in you a strengthening of your mind towards returning back to that from which the Lord has been redeeming and gathering you. If you feel the right seed and come to be of the right seed, the way of the seed will not be too hard for you, otherwise it will. This is to you in love and grief from your soul's true friend, Isaac Pennington, 21st of 6th month, 1671. To Catherine Portage and another. Friends, if I should say one word to you, could you bear it? And yet this counsel is with me towards you. Oh, wait for, receive, embrace, and be glad of that which reproves you, and be afraid of that which comforts you in your present state. For you must come through the trouble, judgment, breaking down, plucking up, consuming and burning of the contrary nature and spirit which yet deceives you. And truly you must witness all the knowledge, profession, practices, beliefs, hopes that are founded there and spring up from there, confounded and destroyed, before you can possibly come into the true ministration of life and power. You must die to your own wisdom, if ever you will be born of and walk in the wisdom of God. You must die to that part which is so active in the wisdom of man, and which would even labor in fire for that which is but vanity, if ever you will receive the knowledge which springs out of truth and life itself, which indeed flows over and covers the earth of God's heritage as the waters cover the sea. When we were in desolation and great distress, indeed unutterable, we had none of these helps and instructions which now abound towards you. 
Oh, what a day of mercy you have met with! But how great will be your condemnation if you become as deaf adders to the Spirit of the Lord and so miss His salvation! And if you will ever know the Spirit of the Lord, you must meet with Him as a searcher and reprover in your own hearts. Yes, you must first meet with the merciful God as a severe judge and an unquenchable, consuming fire against that spirit, wisdom, knowledge, and faith in you, which is but of the chaffy nature. Truly, friends, it is far better to be stripped of it than to find any rest or pleasure in it. Isaac Pennington, 7th of 7th Month, 1671 To an Unknown Recipient Dear Friend, some scriptures sprang up and opened in my heart towards you this morning. The first was Second Corinthians ten four through 6 For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. That which was chiefly on my heart was about the fulfilling of obedience. First, there is a knowing of the will of God, a waiting to know and understand from God what is His holy, good, perfect, and acceptable will. Then, as God gives the knowledge, He requires obedience, which is to be learned of God in the new spirit and life. For in the old nature, mind and spirit, there is nothing but darkness and disobedience. And in the new creation, there is the new obedience. So that there is first a beginning of knowledge in the Spirit, a beginning of faith in the renewing power, and a beginning of obedience in the same to him that calls. Then there is an increase of knowledge, of true, pure, living knowledge, an increase of faith, and a growing more and more obedient under the exercises, judgments, and chastisements of the Father's Spirit. And at length, the soul comes to witness a full readiness, skill, and strength in and through Christ, in and through the measure of the gift of grace received from Him, to obey in all things. When the new birth is thus grown up into strength and dominion, into the stature of a man in Christ, then the senses which have long been exercised in discerning between good and evil, grow strong. And there is a quick discerning in the fear of the Lord and an authority in His name and power over the enemy and His temptations. Here every stronghold is broken down. Every imagination and false reasoning concerning the truth is subjected and broken by the evidence and power of truth. Every thought is brought under captivity, even to the obedience of Christ, with a readiness to reject all unbelief and disobedience that so much is offered to rise up. Now, is not this the Christian state, which God would have his children aim and strive at? Are they not blessed who witness it? Does not the true ministration of the gospel light, spirit, and power lead to it? And should any be at rest in their spirits in an easeful, formal, dry, dead profession without it? Another scripture was 1 Peter 2, verses 2-5. through 5. As newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. 
you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It is precious to witness the state of a newborn babe, to be begotten to God by the word of life and power, even by the word which God engrafts into the heart. Oh, what living desires rise up after that which nourishes the birth of life, which God breathes from his own spirit. Now, as the birth is pure, so the nourishment is pure, pure milk from the pure word, sincere, unmixed milk from the word of life, from the breaths of life. Now, who is it that begets to God? It is the Spirit, the Word, the second Adam, he whose name is the Word of God. Who is the mother of these children? It is the heavenly wisdom, the Jerusalem which is above. The Jerusalem which is above is free, which is the mother of us all. Wisdom is justified of her children. And who feeds these children? Who nourishes and brings them up? Why, the mother who bore them. She holds forth the breast of life to them. She yields to them the pure milk of the word. The newborn babes, they long for it. They cry for their food. They earnestly desire after it. And the tender mother gives it forth to them, even the milk of the breast of life from the pure word of life. And by this they grow. But how come the babes to desire after such pure, sincere, unmixed food? Oh, because they have tasted that the Lord is gracious. They have had the heavenly taste. They have tasted that which was living and pure from God, from his tender mercy and grace, wherein he ministers life and salvation. Indeed, the remembrance and sense of the sweetness of this is upon their palates, and how precious and living is it when it comes new and fresh from him. The words which he speaks, they are still spirit and life to the soul. How can they help but desire that he minister unto them the pure food, that they may know and feed on the truth as it is in Jesus? Here they come to him as unto a living fountain and a living stone, rejected by the builders after the flesh in all ages and generations, but chosen of God and precious to all that have the true sense and understanding. Thus they come to him daily, and so are built up into a living house or spiritual temple and dwelling place for God. He is the foundation stone, the cornerstone, the top stone, the hope and crown of their glory. They are the living stones in him, quickened and kept alive in and by him, and shining in his light and glory. Oh, little do you know the loving kindness of the Lord in visiting you with his truth, and giving you a sense beyond others, and in so tenderly drawing and inviting your heart. Nor have you yet seen what this will come to, if you faithfully give up, hearken to, and follow him. Isaac Pennington, 20th of 10th month, 1671 To Thomas and Anne Mudd Dear friends, of whose love to me I have been and am sensible, and to whom I bear true love, when I was last at Rickmansworth, it was on my heart to visit you, and while I was there with you, true and living breathings did spring up in my heart to the Lord for you. Since then, I have often thought of you, and in my desires have wished well concerning you, even as to my own soul. Your days here cannot be long, and what you sow here you must reap, 
when you go out of this world. Oh, that you may now sow to the Spirit of God in such a way that you may then reap from Him life everlasting. Last first day, my wife had a letter of George Fox's sent to her, which I read that night. In the reading of it, I had many thoughts respecting you, and the desire that you might sincerely, uprightly, and without prejudice peruse it, and so I sent it unto you the next day for that end. Now, this morning, you were upon my heart, and two things rose up in me in reference to you, as very necessary for you, that you may be safe, and that it may go well with you forever. One was, that you keep steadfast in that holy testimony of truth, which was given forth among us at the beginning. For this truth is the same, and the testimony of it does not vary or pass away, but shall last throughout ages and generations, to redeem all that receive it and are faithful to it. The testimony was this, to draw away from outward, dead knowledge, and out of dead practices and worships after man's own conceivings, into an inward seed, and into worship in spirit and truth, both inwardly in the heart and outwardly in the assemblies of God's gathering. The second was, that you be daily exercised, guided, and your hearts opened and quickened by the seed and spirit of truth, so that you may know what it is to walk with the Lord, and to feel the power of the Lord, and enjoy the presence of the Lord, and be led by Him out of and away from the mysterious workings of the power and spirit of inward darkness. For if, through a grievous mistake, you let this into your minds and spirits instead of the spirit of truth, you cannot help but call darkness light and light darkness, truth error and error truth, and so you will err from the true way and fall into something which, in God's sight, is not so. For there is a spirit of delusion as well as a spirit of truth. The spirit of delusion works in the heart as a minister of righteousness in a seeming light warming the heart with a wrong fire, bringing it into a wrong bed of rest. It administers to the heart a wrong peace, a wrong hope and joy, setting up there a wrong sense, belief, and judgment concerning itself and others. And so it leads to separate from them that are true and be joined to them that are false. It draws from the assemblies and worship of God's true gathering and begets prejudices against and hard thoughts about those who are owned by the Lord and are kept in their habitation by Him who dwells in them and they in Him. O oh, my friends, may the Lord give you the true discerning of this Spirit and of His own Spirit, and may He deliver you out of the snare of the enemy by opening that eye in you to which He gives the sight of what is of Him and what is not of Him. And may you be disjoined from all that is not of God, and joined to the Lord, abiding and walking in Him. I am a true friend to you both, in true and faithful love, as in God's sight, and a hearty desirer of your everlasting happiness. Isaac Pennington, 19th of the 12th month, 1672 To Colonel Kenrick Dear Friend, the gospel dispensation consists in spirit and power. The kingdom which Christ and his apostles preached, which the true believers were to receive and to wait for an entrance to be ministered to them into, stood not in word, but in power. 
Now there are four sorts of professors of the Christian religion in this our day, of which only one sort are truly acquainted with the gospel dispensation. First, there is one sort who have been nurtured in a profession of Christianity by education, and have improved it by study, but have never known the power, virtue, and inward life. But as men, with the man's part, the man's wisdom, understanding, and seriousness of mind, they have considered the truth and weight of things contained in the scriptures, and so they have received something of the holy doctrine into their natural understanding, and given themselves up to the observation and practice thereof, according as they have apprehended and understood things. These have become more serious and excellent men than others, but still fall very short of the nature and state of Christianity. Yes, the strictest among these, many times, become the greatest opposers and persecutors of true Christianity. Secondly, there are some who have had a taste of the true power, and have had living desires and breathings after it, and a sense of the preciousness and excellency of it, who have also felt the quickening spirit and begun therein. But afterwards, these have lost that sense, and landed in a literal knowledge and wisdom about those very things of which they once had some living experience. These are like salt, which has lost its savor, and it is hard for them ever to be seasoned again. And from among these do rise the greatest persecutors and bitterest persecutions against the life, truth, and power. Thirdly, there are some who, though they never came to the distinct knowledge of the power, yet have had a great sense of their lack of it, and have abode in that sense. And in all the ways and forms of religion they have been or are in, they still seek after it, and find no value in outward forms, except as the power, in some measure, appears in it. For the cry of their souls is daily after the power and life, and their waiting is for it. These, wherever they are, are of the true seed. These are of the birth of the heavenly spirit and wisdom. These are sheep of the true shepherd's fold, though they are not yet gathered home to the fold to which they properly belong. These are the broken, the bruised, the sick, the wounded, the captives, the distressed, the poor, the naked, etc., to whom the gospel of peace, the gathering, the salvation, and redemption belongs. And the bleating of these sheep is known. Yes, their longing and cry after the redeeming and gathering power of the shepherd is felt, though they may be at present prejudiced against that very dispensation of truth, life, and power whereby the shepherd gathers. Fourthly, there are some whom God has brought to the distinct sense and knowledge of the power, there are some whose minds God has turned to the inward light and power. There are some whom the shepherd has gathered home to the Father's house, where there is bread enough, and to the true fold, where there is rest and peace enough. These have seen to the end of man's legal comprehendings and creaturely strivings after life, righteousness, and holiness, and at last have come to the commandment wherein is life everlasting. Now these indeed experience something of the gospel dispensation and know the difference between being under the law and under grace. These can tell what the kingdom is which Christ preached and bade men seek and what the gospel is which the poor in spirit receive and what the healing is which drops from under the wing of the Savior and Redeemer. 
and these can distinguish between truth as testified in the letter and truth as it is in Jesus, between the law of the letter and the law of the Spirit, which is written in the new heart and mind by the finger of God's pure and living power. Now, the knowledge of these, the faith of these, the peace, the joy, the justification and sanctification and redemption of these differs greatly from all the former. From the two first sorts, it differs in nature and kind. From the latter, in degree, clearness, and purity. For though all the sheep of the true shepherd have something of the true knowledge, the true faith, the true justification, true sanctification, and may at times have some taste of true peace and joy, and have true breathings and supplications in their spirits towards their Father that begat them, still they are not clear, they are not pure, they are not unmixed. There is a great deal that is not true, which passes for true with them, because they are not come to the anointing, to the eye salve which opens the eye, nor to the spirit of judgment and burning, which separates inwardly in the heart, understanding, mind, and judgment between the precious and the vile. So that when they speak of the heavenly things, they do but stutter and stammer. And even though truth can sometimes acknowledge their sense, yet many times not their words, there is such a mixture of the dark, earthly comprehension in them, which they are not yet delivered and redeemed from. But it is otherwise with those who are turned to the light and power of our Lord Jesus Christ, and have known it, and have been exercised, fanned, and purged by it. For in these the blind eye is opened, and the deaf ear is unstopped, and to them the pure understanding and language is given whereby they know and understand not only words concerning him, but he himself who is true. And they are in him that is true, even in him who is the very God in eternal life. Yet there are different states among those who are thus effectually called and gathered home, according to their growth in the truth and their faithfulness to it. For if there is not a great care and watchfulness, there may be, in some, a neglecting to hear the voice of the shepherd and to walk with him. These can miss the pastures of life, and the pure rest, joy, and peace, and the garment or covering of the Spirit, which they who live and walk in the Spirit, giving up in everything to the Spirit, and denying all the lusts and fruits of the flesh, daily find themselves covered with. God does not dwell in these and walk in them as he does in those that remain separate from all evil and touch no unclean thing. Yes, they who grieve Christ's spirit and do not heed his call and knocks, do not partake of the river of life and wine of the kingdom as fully as those whose ear is open to him and who are always ready to obey and follow him wheresoever he goes. Isaac Pennington, 19th of 4th month, 1673.